0: Episode number 45, Treating Depression with Ketamine. Keeping today's workplace drug-free should not be confusing. This is the Clearing the Haze podcast, giving you the tools you need to most effectively address drug and alcohol use and decreased productivity in the workplace while investing in your positive company image. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. How you define yourself is your choice. How others define you is their choice. It's up to you to decide which definition you prefer. Evie Pomporis. Welcome back to this week's episode of Clearing the Haze. As we've done in the past few episodes, we've talked about alternative drugs that people are turning to both during this time of pandemic And also those groups that are trying to get this stuff out into the public to try and take advantage of individuals not paying attention to the things going on around them when we're in the middle of a global pandemic. I know it sounds crazy, but there are people that are looking at different angles and ways to take advantage of things. I was reading a local magazine here, and that's how I came across an ad in the magazine that was calling for ketamine treatment for depression and PTSD. I had no idea that we had clinics that were set up specifically for ketamine treatment for individuals that are experiencing what they are calling extreme and otherwise untreatable depression as well as PTSD. But I got to tell you, my first reaction when I saw that in that magazine, I just thought to myself, you're killing me, smalls. Yeah, exactly. You're killing me. And the reason for that is because of the background that I have and the experience that I have had, specifically in dealing with people or individuals under the influence of ketamine. I've had some pretty extensive experience in not only coming across individuals that were impaired with ketamine but also teaching police officers, not only in the state of Colorado, but nationally on ketamine and the effects that it has on the body. You see, ketamine, if you don't know what it is, is it's a disassociative anesthetic that has hallucinogenic effects. So what it does is it distorts perceptions of sight and sound, and it makes the user feel disconnected and not in control. It can be an injectable liquid that they use or they can use it as a powder and snort it. Uh, Sometimes they'll take it and they'll mix it in with marijuana and smoke it that way. So now they've got a poly drug effect, which is two different drugs doing two separate things to the body at the same time. Kind of a yo-yo effect that's going on with these individuals. But what's really concerning to me, well, ketamine, let's go back for just a second. Ketamine is a short acting anesthetic. So Originally, in the 1970s, they started using it as an anesthetic for surgery with individuals. And they started using it, and they found that they had more effective methods because of some of the side effects that they were having with ketamine. So right now, the only other way that you were able to get it was if you didn't have a prescription for it from a doctor, was we had people, and you probably have seen this in the news, where people were breaking into veterinarian clinics and they were stealing a substance called Ketacet or Ketajet. And what they would do is this was a liquid vial. It's a horse tranquilizer. If you remember watching the movie Armageddon, they had the guys going in for their treatment before they put them in space. And that was one of the concerns that the doctor had was that some of these guys are coming back for ketamine in their drug profile. And he tells them this is a very... Very strong horse tranquilizer. And so that's what it is. So these guys would go and they'd steal that. And how they would turn it into powder is pretty simple. It's a, it's a simple process. They would take the liquid, pour it into a saucer, stick it in the microwave, and hit popcorn. And then when it came out, it was crystallized, and they'd start flaking it off and turning it into a powder. And then they'd package it up. And the main way that I came across this was in individuals that were using it in raves and you it was always easy as a police officer to figure out who in this group of individuals was using ketamine you know your guys that were using ndma or ecstasy were the ones that are up at the front of the of the venue listening to the music and sticking their heads in the speakers and everything because the vibration the feel everything about it was a sensual type thing for them and and it really made them feel good. So they would they would be right out there with the music, right in the thick of it. Then you would have the group of people that were taking GHB, and you would find those people. They were passed out on the side of the dance floor because people would drag them off and leave them there, and just let them quote unquote sleep it off, not realizing that these individuals are in a coma, non-responsive. And then it was the same way with the people that were taking ketamine. A lot of times they were going into what they call the K-hole, which is going into a place where they're having out-of-body experiences. Now, some of these with most hallucinogens can either be very good or they can be very bad. And a lot of times when people are saying that they were in the K-hole, they were saying that they had some pretty frightening hallucinations to the point where a lot of people that I interviewed and talked to with it said that they would never, ever, ever do it again. And one of the things that scared them the most and one of the things that we're going to talk about with them using this as a depression medication is the effects of it are almost immediate with individuals once they take it. And so they would experience this rather rapidly. The onset of hallucinations or audio sensory that they would experience was almost immediate. So they found out really quickly if it was a good trip or a bad trip that they were going to have. But remember what we talked about at the beginning with this being a disassociative anesthetic. It would knock people out. A lot of times they could not move. They couldn't get up and walk on their own. You would have to have people either assisting them or in most cases, if you go to a rave and these individuals were taking this, you got to remember that a rave is an all-night party. So if they take this at the beginning of the night, they would be in mobile for the rest of the rave and then towards the end they would just start getting back to the point where they could feel where they could move and things like that but they would still have to have assistance from people in helping them to leave the venue so that was my first experience in in dealing with people under the influence of ketamine now if we were to do a drug test on an individual and they were to come back chances are it's going to come back under the category of PCP because it has analogs of PCP that are going to make it come up for PCP in a drug test. So in a sense, we are testing for it. But how often have you had a PCP positive test? So we haven't. So when I started reading about this and that they're starting to use this as a therapy that's been approved by the FDA as a treatment, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second, it was astonishing to me just knowing what the side effects are. And I'm going to read some of that to you from a couple different articles on this. But I find it quite interesting, the path that we're going on right now, that we've started with marijuana. We've made that mainstream. Now we have groups that are going after mushrooms and other hallucinogenic substances that we talked about for both Oregon and also and Washington, D.C., And we've already seen in some states, like here in Colorado, just mere possession in the city and county of Denver of mushrooms in and of itself is not an arrestable offense and is not a felony. It is a ticketable offense if they have more than personal use on themselves. So notice I didn't say being under the influence of it is legal, which a lot of people figure if they've legalized marijuana for personal use, then surely being under the influence of it is going to be legal. Not so. It's just the possession, personal possession, that they are not going to charge you or cite you for. So that is some of the things that people need to understand. They only read and hear what they want with these bills and these laws. And that's why it's so pretty and, and crucial for us to understand where these laws are coming from, what's in them, and what is being said And going from there, and also in letting our employers know that these type of substances are available and that they are things that we may see that come into the workplace. So I guess a good starting point is going to be going back to the 1970s and that ketamine had been marketed in the United States as an injectable, short-acting anesthetic for the use in humans and animals. But in 1999, ketamine, including the salts and isomers and the salts of the isomers, became a Schedule III non-narcotic substance under the Controlled Substance Act. And currently, it is being accepted for medical use for short-term sedation and anesthesia. But in March of 2019, the FDA approved the drug of ketamine as a nasal spray version called Spravato, for treatment-resistant depression that is only available at a certified doctor's office or clinic. So the ketamine has the potential for abuse, which may lead to moderate or low physical dependency or high psychological dependency. Ultimately, you may be asking yourself, so what is the effect on the brain or the mind or what the user experience? And a lot of times with ketamine, it produces very vivid hallucination and it distorts Their perception of sight and sound it makes it so that the individual is disconnected and not in control and like i said a lot of times you may have people experience um, being paralyzed and not being able to move because of uh, the the reaction that they're having from taking it and i talked a little bit about it being called special k or even the k-hole and we'll talk about that here in just a second but a lot of times that's referring to the intense trip that the individual's experience and a lot of times what they have said with individuals taking this that it's been a lot better high than LSD or PCP and that's because it's hallucinatory effects are relatively sh- relatively short in duration so with ketamine the person is going to have those hallucinations or those experience for about 30 to 60 minutes As opposed to several hours if they're taking lsd or pcp now the slang terms that i mentioned earlier like k hole and special k they have underlying meanings and the meanings that i learned that they they have was directly from the rave culture in those individuals that were uh, predominantly using these drugs so k land you may have that, hear that referred to. What that means is the mellow and, and colorful experiences that that individual is experiencing while under the influence of ketamine. You may hear what's called the K-hole that I talked about earlier, and what that refers to is the out-of-body experience that the user has and sometimes even near-death experience that they feel that they've had while under the influence of this drug. You have other people that call it baby food which is when the the person experiences just a very blissful and infantile type of inertia while they're under the influence of this drug, and so they've had a very good experience from it. But then you have others that have called it God, and the reason why they've called it God is because they're convinced that while they were under the influence of ketamine that they've actually met God or their maker. Pretty scary. So I mentioned the duration of how long the effects of ketamine typically will last with a user. There's also the onset effects of it, which occur very rapidly within just a few minutes of them taking the drug. There is a disorder that is associated with ketamine as well. It's called hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. And what that is, is it's been reported that several weeks after a user has used ketamine that they may experience negative side effects that, that have occurred while taking that drug. And with ketamine, it's, it's often agitation, depression, cognitive difficulties, uh, even passing out or, be, or going unconscious for no apparent reason. Just, it just happens. And also having amnesia, not even remembering the experience that they've had or that they even have taken this drug. Oftentimes when we had paramedics come out to check the status of some of these individuals because, you know, I, I'm not a paramedic, but part of my training when I was a drug recognition expert is to check the heart rate, pulse rate, um, blood pressure, things like that. So obviously if I'm in a club and I've, and I've got an individual there, I could take their pulse and see where they're at. And generally with that, their, their heart rate can increase, their blood pressure can gradually, de- can gradually decrease over time. And it, that's within usually 10 to 20 minutes of them using ketamine. Um, but you can also understand that these individuals can become unresponsive as well. And then you're not even able to communicate with them. So when we would find people that were passed out like this and they couldn't move and they couldn't answer or, or even acknowledge that we were there, we immediately called paramedics. And that was what they would come in and check is their heart rate, the blood pressure, body temperature, things like that. And, and if they weren't in, within normal range, these people were being taken to the hospital for treatment. But besides just what I was talking about with, you know, the heart rate, blood pressure, body temperature, there was other things that we'd look for. We'd also look for rapid eye movement, dilated pupils, stiffening of the muscles. All these are some of the signs that we would recognize as a person may be overdosed with this drug. Now, an overdose can cause them to become unconscious and, and have very shallow breathing, which a lot of time was alarming, especially when you're in a crowded venue with a lot of people there. It was really hard sometimes to even feel somebody breathing, and a lot of times that's what we thought, is that we had somebody that was possibly dead. And, and that's a very scary thing, even for a police officer, when you're dealing with somebody like this, and then the nonchalant attitude of everybody that's there just thinking that this is part of the experience of being in that party and they would cart them off to the side and just leave them there because they're not going to go anywhere and they would check on them later. So this was just part of the culture and part of what it was all about in experiencing that event under the influence of those drugs. So it's probably pretty easy to understand what my concerns were when I saw this and why I was alarmed. But then what I did was I went and I looked at the FDA news release, and this was just released last year, March of 2019, in talking about the approval process that they had for the nasal spray medication for the treatment of a resistant depression, and that it's only available at a certified doctor's office or clinic, which means that this isn't a prescription that a person gets and they go home with. Because of all the dangerous side effects and the things that could happen with it, this is a drug that's actually administered in the doctor's office there. And I'm going to go a little bit into this news release real quick so you can understand a little bit about the nasal spray or Spravato is what it's called. That they give it to an individual in conjunction with an oral antidepressant for the treatment of depression in adults who have tried other antidepressant medicines, but none of them have benefited from that treatment. So patients with major depressive disorder who despite trying at least two antidepressant treatments given at adequate doses for adequate duration in the current episode and have not responded to treatment are considered to have treatment-resistant depression. Now I find it interesting that they say that on the box or the labeling of Spervato, it contains warnings that, that caution the patients that there are risks for sedation and difficulty with attention, judgment, and thinking, that the abuse and misuse and suicidal thoughts and behaviors after administration of the drug can occur. Because of that risk of sedation and disassociation, patients must be monitored by a healthcare provider for at least two hours after receiving their Spravado dose. They also require the prescriber and the patient to both sign a patient enrollment form and it clearly states that the patient understands that they should make arrangements to safely leave the healthcare facility or setting to get home and that the patient should not drive or use heavy machinery for the rest of the day in which they receive the drug. Additionally, they must know that when they receive Spravato, it must be dispensed with a patient medication guide that outlines the drug user's uses and risks. The patient self-administers the Spravado nasal spray under the supervision of a healthcare provider in a certified doctor's office or clinic, and the spray cannot be taken home. The healthcare provider will instruct the patient on how to operate the nasal device, and during and after each of the uses of the nasal device, the healthcare provider will check the patient and determine when the patient is safe and ready to leave. In the FDA report, it says that the most common side effects experienced by patients treated with bravado in the clinical trials were disassociation, dizziness, nausea, sedation, vertigo, Decreased feelings or sensitivity, anxiety, lethargy, increased blood pressure, vomiting, and also feeling drunk. Spravado may impair attention, judgment, thinking, reaction, speed, and motor skills. So the patient should not drive or operate machinery until the next day after a restful sleep. Now, may cause fetal harm also in the reproduction and potentially should not be used by women who feel that they may or are pregnant during this time. Going over all of those details of this drug, you may be asking yourself, well, how long is it detectable in blood or urine? So, in most cases, both in blood and urine, it's detectable for 7 to 14 days or possibly longer depending how often and how much is used if an individual does test positive it most likely will come up as a uh, positive for pcp and you'll end up having the individual who has medication they're going to challenge it and say that it's a false positive for pcp because they're using ketamine which is going to be pretty easy for the lab to do a follow-up confirming test using gcms and then it's going to be coming back as ketamine and they'll be able to figure that out. But they're going to need to have a prescription and be under the treatment of and care of a doctor in order for the prescription to be legal. However, when you're looking at DOT, PCP is one of the drugs that is being tested for because ketamine is an analog of that. And if they're able to determine that, that is one of the drugs that could disqualify them from service as a DOT safety-sensitive position. When looking at the Medical Review Officer Manual for Federal Agency Workplace Drug Testing Programs under PCP, it says that ketamine is the only analog of PCP that has any legitimate use. It is currently used as an injectable, short-acting, anesthetic in humans and animals. Ketamine does not cross-react with PCP in initial or confirmatory testing. So the bottom line in that is if you have an individual that does test for DOT and they come back positive for PCP and they're saying that it's because of their use with ketamine, they've already talked to the MRO and the MRO has talked to them and that's going to be that. That's their decision that's beyond our scope and, and our job and what we do. But understand that they are going to be able to detect it, and the medical review doctor is going to be able to analyze it and be able to contact the donor regarding it. Now, your non-DOT people, that's a totally different story. That's going to be up to each employer and their workplace policies and procedures, and I'll bet that a lot of them don't even know, as I didn't, that ketamine clinics are being set up now for individuals to be treated for treatment-resistant depression. So obviously they feel that there is enough evidence to allow it to be a prescription to be treated for such with individuals with these medical conditions. So how does ketamine work? That's what's crazy is when you start investigating this, it's not even entirely clear how it works because it exerts an antidepressant effect through a a mechanism within the brain. And so ketamine may be able to help some people successfully manage depression when in other treatments it hasn't worked. So this is what they're saying when it comes to ketamine and how it works. So the likely target for ketamine is the NMDA receptors in the brain. And they think that by binding to these receptors, ketamine increases the amount of neurotransmitters called glutamate in the spaces between the neurons. So glutamate then activates connections within the receptor and the AMPA receptor. So together the initial blockade of the NMDA receptors and the activation of the AMPA receptors lead to the release of other molecules that help the neurons communicate with with each other along new pathways. These new pathways are likely to affect their mood, thought patterns, and cognition. But they report that it may also influence depression in other ways, that it might reduce signals involved in inflammation, which has been linked to mood disorders or facilitate communication with specific areas within the brain, Most likely, they believe that ketamine works in several ways at the same time, many of which are being currently studied. They feel that ketamine is safe because in most cases, the side effects that they will exhibit will be noticeable during the first time they've used it. And because ketamine, the onset and and the ability of synthesizing it and using it within the body is so short-lived, 30 to 60 minutes, they feel that that is a a negligible amount of time to be able to overcome those symptoms that they're seeing for the person to still be safe and to be able to determine whether this ketamine is actually an effective medication for them to use for their depression or if they'll have to discontinue the use of it based on the symptoms that they saw the patient display after use of it. So what about the long-term or, or frequent use of ketamine? What, are there any side effects? Right now they're saying that more research needs to be done on that, that they are not sure. They don't know what the long-term or it, additional side effects may be from long-term use. So just how many clinics are there out there that are ketamine depression clinics? So just here in the state of Colorado, we have 14 clinics that are listed in the directory throughout the nation upwards of 75 that I've counted, and most of those were from ketamineclinicsdirectory.com that will tell you where these clinics can be located throughout the nation. Now, that tells me a couple things. One, that there's not a whole lot of people that are really aware of the use of it yet. That we're not seeing it, especially with DOT, if we're not getting people that are coming back positive for PCP and having those things reported. However, like I said, this is a magazine that I check on on a monthly basis. And I just now, on this date of the 18th of August, 2020, was made aware of this. How long these clinics have been around, I don't know. I haven't done that research to find out, and I think that's probably something that's going to be of interest, at least for me on that, and to be able to report back to you. Now, granted, you have to really have what they're saying is non-treatable depression through the medications and means of treatment that they've used already in order for them to refer you to the use of ketamine through a doctor for them to be able to use for depression. Now, how much of that is going to come up? I don't know but I can tell you it's better to be aware of this and know that it's out there than to not know anything about it at all, and that's exactly why we're addressing it here on Clearing the Haze today. With all the different things that we're seeing with hallucinogenic drugs, I really think that with the last two episodes that we did with people that are looking to legalize hallucinogenic drugs and to be able to use them for treatment, also what we've seen people do with narcotics wanting to have shoot up rooms for people to be able to use narcotics and other type of opiate drugs under a safe environment to be able to be able to monitor these individuals to make sure that they're safe. It's only a matter of time before we start hearing more and more about ketamine being used as a treatment for depression. It's going to start coming up. Now I think it's better for us to be aware of it and know about it. So when we do discover or we do find out that we're having these issues we're already well aware of it and we can address it with our employers but part of our mission here at clearing the haze is to bring these things to light and to be able to give this information to you so that you can be able to be one more informed but number two be able to take care of the needs of your clients and employers so i hope that this episode of clearing the haze it has been enlightening that you've learned something a little bit different. I understand and know that it is something that we have a lot of people within our country that are experiencing pain and they're looking for any alternative they can. than having to depend on the effects of opiate type drugs or other things that either one, they're having to take a lot of and because of the amount they're having to take to have it have an effect on them They're not able to go into the workplace. They're not able to be safe in public as far as driving, things like that. These things are going to come up more and more. People are going to start looking for other types of treatments that can be used or things that they feel are going to help. So don't be surprised when we start seeing more and more of this out there. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of Clearing the Haze. We hope that you enjoyed it. And we look forward to bringing you another episode next week. But until then, remember... It's your vision, it's your dream, and it's your business. Take care.